I don't know how to do anything. Well, I think I was dropped on my head several times as a small child and, and uh, ended up a little muddled. I don't think so. You don't think so? No. Oh. <laughs> it's 8.04 a.m. Saturday, February the 23rd, 2018, 19. Wait a minute. It's 8.04 a.m. Saturday, February the 20th. It's. 8.04 a.m. Saturday, February 23rd, 2019. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane Show. I didn't think we were going to get through the intro. Oh, well. You're just going back in time, Bill. Is that what I'm doing? A year at a time? A year at a time, yes. Would that we could. No, I'd rather not. No. 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 I'd rather not. Well, here we are in our cozy little confines and uh, hoping that the weather's going to cooperate for today. Got some, got, some, uh, got some places to go, people to be. And uh, I think it's going to be fun. Don't you, Diane? I do. All right, then. It's been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine as per usual. What's been going on? Give us the big picture. Diane Shulstead, over to you. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> yes. Aren't you supposed to do some little silliness or, you know? What, I, I haven't done enough silliness yet? What do you want from me? I was uh, talking about, uh, you know, being used as a, as a basketball as a small child and, you know, things like that. None of which is true, by the way. So that's, that's pure silliness right there. But even if you had been used as a bus, I just think about Buster Keaton, whose parents in vaudeville used to throw him across the room. Oh, yeah. You know, he, he wasn't brain dead, so there you go. True. Okay. Yeah, but who so, knows? So babies can be used as balls. <laughs> okay. All righty. Okay. There you go. <laughs> so, and so survive. What, what were we talking about? I don't know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's been a what's going what's what's gone on this week? Have we just been kind of huddled and you know fearful of snow or something? Is it is that no. all it's been? No, things have been happening, right? I've been going to work and yeah, it was a normal week. Was it normal? Was it normal? Uh, I guess it was normal. It was fairly normal, but I didn't. We had a holiday. We and... had a holiday. Did, did we see people? Did I go anywhere? Did I do anything? I got myself a cup of coffee here, and I'm going to take me a sip. I don't remember going anywhere, doing anything, or seeing any people. I saw my son, Jake. Ah, ham and eggs. Saw him a couple of times. We took Jake out to dinner last night. And we, I had seen him the previous day. We had lunch and played cribbage. And we stumbled upon a great diner up in the upper Yes, area. we did stumble upon a great diner. The totem... The totem... Family Totem diner. Family dining. Something like that. Yeah. It's one of those things where I looked in advance. Family and owned and operated since 1953. So, you know it's got to be good. That's and one of the powers of the interwebs that I really do enjoy. Is true. that you can say, is there any diner? We, we're diner people. We're diner so. people. Where's a good diner in every? Pardon me, I'm going to have another drink of coffee. So, there's that. And the, the way you can tell if it's a good diner. You... Boy. Well, one of the ways you can tell it's good coffee. is that it's all booths. There were all booths. And nice, you know, kind of shiny, naga hide, you know, kind of uh, seat coverings and things like that. The other way you can tell that it's a good diner is that the parking lot is full. Parking lot was full. That was true. And it was a fine, 
fine dining experience as far as our tastes are concerned. It was a big plate of food, though. The only thing, people, that the Totem Diner does not have is a senior menu, which allows a, a human-sized portion, you know. <laughs> uh, I had the... Uh, the corned beef hash and eggs, right? It was the yeah, but it was off the special menu, so they make their own corned beef hash. They mix it with the O'Brien potatoes, and uh, what else was in there? Eggs on top. Yeah, and a couple of eggs, a couple of fried eggs on top, and you mix all that together. And, oh my lord! I seldom eat that kind of quantity of food, but I managed it. I shoveled it all in before my stomach knew it was coming. <laughs> So that, you know. And then you helped me out with the little wine. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I just kept sh- I shoveling it in. Finish mine. But man, I was, I was, full up. It's not, you know, it's like when you're young, and you're full. It's not nearly as uncomfortable as when you're old <laughs> and full. For some reason, I guess it's just because it's harder to carry all that around with you when you're older. It was well, lovely. We had a good time. I was working on the Victory Music, or the Ancient Victories publication, publication layout yesterday. Yes, so yes. that was my great contribution to And we've the both work been we've... delving into uh, kind of journalists and uh, things of the past, because I've kind of been doing a little deep dive into Studs Terkel. Which was uh, caused because we found that biography. That documentary about him, yeah. And that was fascinating. It's really, Studs Terkel was an amazing human being. And well, I, I was so proud because I knew you were a fan of Studs Terkel. So when I found that, that documentary, I was like, oh, yeah. I found something Bill will really like. It's true. <clears throat> it led me to the uh, WFMT uh, website where they have archived like 7,000 hours of Studs Terkel's radio program, which he did for 40, like 41 years. He was on the same radio station doing this uh, interview show. So that was an amazing kind of deep dive and something that I will return to again and again. I've got it bookmarked now and uh, so I can go back there when I'm feeling uh, distraught somehow about present day life and I can dip back into a time where conversations seem to be uh, kind of, you know, the coin of the realm, you know, really kind of vital stuff. And uh, he interviewed all kinds of people, uh, from famous people to just working people on off the street, and uh, really created quite a body of American life captured in audio form, which is my favorite form. I think audio. I was able to purchase an audio file of his book, Working, where it mm-hmm. has yeah. We haven't listened to it yet, but I'm I purchased it. Because does he read it? No, he he. It's the actual interviews of the people oh. that he interviewed. Oh, cool. So I'm very eager to to hear that because it's just talking about uh, people's jobs and they just talk about what they like and don't like about their jobs. Yeah. All sorts of different jobs. I I thought that was so <coughs> fascinating when we were watching the biography that I thought, oh, I'd really love to, I'd really love to hear that. I wonder if there's an any way to listen to that well then i uh i had an interesting um way into listening to someone from the past as well i the way that my situation came about 
was that I was talking to to one of my partners at work yeah. who was distressed by the news and I was talking to him about how different news is and the news delivery is. These days as opposed to when we were young? Yeah. Yeah. Because when we were young, uh, my memory of the news was Walter Cronkite and David Chet Huntley Brinkley. and David Brinkley. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So uh, those are those were the three, I think. Well, and you know Howard K. Smith or whoever was on ABC, because yeah. uh, Cronkite was on CBS and Huntley Brinkley were on NBC. But I remember there being a, and maybe it's just a child's vision of what the adult world looks like, but my memory of it was that it was very, the news was very measured and uh, sober and... And you kind of went, it it was a, there was a feeling that if you wanted to know what was going on, this is where you went. You know, there was like a, it was like a, a single source. Right. I mean, you'd hear basically the same thing on all three networks, uh, but that's where you found out what was going on. Now it's like it's the news is so completely fragmented. Uh, Well, what I was bringing up was how, like, if you see in YouTube just the clips of the news, what they are naming it, they're saying things like so and so destroys blah 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 or whatever, and I feel like. Really? I mean, I, it's weird to me to see that. So I was saying what it seems to me is the way that news is presented now is that it's getting you into a tribal yeah. uh, feeling about I have this thought or whatever, and it's just magnifying that power of that thought for each group. And so anyway, I was talking to him about how news was very differently broadcast when we were young. And mm-hmm. And I asked him if he had ever heard of um, Edward R. Murrow. And interestingly, he had gone to the college, (laughs) the School of Communications, that has Edward R. Murrow, that's their namesake. But he did not know about who Edward R. Murrow was. And I found it so interesting because he did not know he was he didn't really know about Watergate and uh, he kind of vaguely had heard something but it wasn't really something that he had been taught mm-hmm. I don't think and I was talking to you about the fact that there were many things that I don't remember being taught in school I never remember being taught about McCarthyism right. or some of the uh, the events that were in my parents' generation and they had lived through. So I was commenting how interesting it is that what you're living through, the momentous times that you're living through, are not even really in the next generations focused upon. That history hasn't been written yet completely, and so it's not taught. Yeah, that's right. But it was so fascinating because uh, when I started telling him about Murrow and and his broadcasts and all that, I said that the way I learned about it was through a movie, which was Good Night and Good Luck. Because it was really before my time. I mean, it was right before I was born. Yeah. 
that all these events were going on. But I was so appreciative of that movie because of the history that it gave and the way it presented it. Right, and it was kind of like opening the door. It was not, it didn't give you full knowledge of those times, or but it gave you a sense of the, of the atmosphere of those times, which for people like us, I think, invited us to, to look deeper, to find out more and uh, go to some of the source material. But it's, it's an amazing uh, movie. It's an amazing document. This morning I was watching a little um, interview with George Clooney about the movie, why he made the movie, and I wanted to play a little clip of, uh, of what he said. It's George Clooney being interviewed by Charlie Rose. For people like me, mm-hmm. and so many journalists you know, I'm sure everyone I'm told you this, Murrow was a hero, mm-hmm. a hero to your father. Yes. You yeah. knew the name Edward O. Murrow in, in Nick Clooney's household. Yeah, my, my father used to do the, that, the, the speech that we begin and end the film with the famous Box of Lights and Wires yeah, speech. Right. Um, my dad used to stand on a chair when we were kids and do the, that speech. Yeah. And he would do that and he would do uh, uh, the Mark Anthony soliloquy. <laughs> so it's one or the other. You're either at Friends Roman's <laughs> Countryman or you're at a Box of Lights and Wires. We all steal from him when we do these commencement speeches. I know, you have to. <laughs> but so you knew him and so therefore, fast forward to knowing who Murrow was. Mm-hmm knowing that this was a courageous journalist who, in the end, you know, what he did, but ended up not in journalism by the time he died. Sure, not, not at all. To the decision to make this movie. Mm-hmm. Was it the Times that said, I gotta tell a story, and Murrow's the man to tell the story through his experience, or something else? Well, there's a lot of things. I, it's, I've always been fascinated with this specifically. Uh, I'm fascinated with the two greatest moments in broadcast journalism, I consider, which are, uh, Cronkite coming back from Vietnam uh, and saying this is a stalemate at best. And Lyndon Johnson saying when he sees that, it's I'm all out. over. Yeah. yeah, Johnson not go- running for re-election. Um, those would seem to be two times that, if not changed uh, a policy overnight, made people aware that they weren't a minority overnight. Uh, and so it was the incredible power of television. I don't think you could do it again. I don't think you'd have 40 million viewers yeah. following one guy. So first, I was, I've was always been fascinated with that specific moment. It's a brave time. Uh, I mean, it, you, you can't, I mean, you get it from the film, but the climate, I mean, you got it out in Hollywood where mm-hmm. people couldn't get work and blacklisted, mm-hmm. the whole environment at that time. And, and people living in fear. Living in fear, but living in fear of so many different elements. You yeah. were living in fear, you know, kids were wearing dog tags because they thought they were going to get blown up, you know, yeah. you had duck and cover drills. Right. You living in fear of the idea that your neighbor might be a communist, and you were living in fear of somebody ratting you out as being a communist. So there was a lot of fear going on. And then Murrow says famously in the room in the studio, fear is in this room. Yeah, ter- terror is in this room. And, uh, and did say that line and, uh, and was the sort of defining moment. Although he wanted to go at McCarthy for a bit, he was always looking for, as he called it, the little picture, which was the Milo Radulovich story. But the reason we, I, I thought of doing this, or it's something I've been knocking around. I, uh, my friend Waylon Green, who's a wonderful writer, wrote, wrote The Wild Bunch. And stuff. He and I did a, a, a movie of the week we wrote about this sort of event, but we fictionalized a lot of the characters. And it, it was my fault. I had a bad concept. And we did that about seven or eight years ago. And thankfully, CBS didn't make that film. And uh, I started rereading those speeches that Murrow gives. And they seemed awfully prescient. <laughs> they seemed like it was something. They seemed like they could be read today and be applicable. Mm-hmm. They seemed like if, uh, if, 
if someone wanted to read them during a, um, a, a convention, they probably would have been elected president. They were that good. You know, they're that, the, the, that strong when you talk about we will not confuse dissent with, with disloyalty. And remember always that we are not descended from fearful men. Mm. I love that. Not from men who fear to write or speak or defend the causes that are for the moment unpopular. It's pretty good words. It's interesting what uh, Clooney says about some of the stuff that Murrow was saying, so it probably makes sense for us to play the clip of the speech or the talk by Murrow that Clooney was referring to. Yes, and especially because I've been watching many of his speeches um, recently and, and been so heartened by his, the content of his words, knowing that, that these issues that we, that we face in our generations have been already done in other generations by other people. Right. And it's interesting to watch the outcomes of each time that this is tried. Yeah. So. so let's listen to that. Earlier, the senator asked, upon what meat does this our Caesar feed? Had he looked three lines earlier in Shakespeare's Caesar, he would have found this line, which is not altogether inappropriate. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. No one familiar with the history of his country can deny that congressional committees are useful. It is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one, and the junior senator from Wisconsin has stepped over it repeatedly. His primary achievement has been in confusing the public mind as between the internal and the external threats of communism. We must not confuse dissent with disloyalty. We must remember always that accusation is not proof and that conviction depends upon evidence and due process of law. We will not walk in fear one of another. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason if we dig deep in our history and our doctrine. And remember that we are not descended from fearful men, not from men who feared to write, to speak, to associate, and to defend causes that were for the moment unpopular. This is no time for men who oppose Senator McCarthy's methods to keep silent, or for those who approve. We can deny our heritage and our history, but we cannot escape responsibility for the result. There is no way for a citizen of a republic to abdicate his responsibilities. As a nation, we have come into our full inheritance at a tender age. We proclaim ourselves as indeed we are, the defenders of freedom wherever it continues to exist in the world. But we cannot defend freedom abroad by deserting it at home. The actions of the junior senator from Wisconsin have caused alarm and dismay amongst our allies abroad and given considerable comfort to our enemies. And whose fault is that? Not really his. He didn't create this situation of fear. He merely exploited it, and rather successfully. Cassius was right. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. Good night and good luck. It's very stirring. I mean, it makes you feel, I mean, it's, it's a, a kind of a, an emotional gut punch to listen to that. I mean, that was when, I don't, I don't remember what year that clip aired. 1954. So, yeah, 1954, that was a long time ago. That was a few years before we were born. But it speaks, you know, it echoes into our time fairly effectively, you know. 
this guy was, I mean, there, there was a time when that was, I mean, how, he had like 40 million people who watched Edward R. Murrow's show. That just doesn't happen anymore. I don't think, uh, and it was a pivotal moment that basically brought down the whole McCarthy thing. This one broadcast, one 30-minute broadcast. So, pretty amazing stuff. So that's what we've been doing. What have you guys been doing? What have you guys been up to? Well, I really, I just want to comment that the interest in history that I have now far exceeds the interest in history that I had when I was young. And I think the reason why that happens for a lot of people in their older years is that you, they've lived through enough history that they are starting to see patterns and I think the reason why everybody is saying history may not repeat itself, but rhymes or that they are trying to say, hey, take a look back, take a look back. But it's always going to be the older people who do that, right? right? right. And they are not as uh, viable right. in the marketplace anymore. So uh, people are there saying, seems, oh, there yeah, always seems you to be, always There always that, seems to be a reason to kind of marginalize that kind of talk when it comes up. But it's, uh, you know. And maybe that's just the way life flows, you know? By the time you're old enough to have some wisdom, nobody wants to hear it anymore. <laughs> yeah. you know? But know. when you do see that things are repeating and you watch these various uh, pieces of history play out, then I think you really are very much more interested in how it played out in, in past generations. Yeah. And I particularly loved the way this particular thing played out. Yep. And it gives and it's it gives you hope. You, you end up feeling hopeful about the way things are going to turn out this time around, you know. And that's why I say hope. 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 You're, you're missing the hand gestures. She's pumping her fist in the air. Hope. What was was that all you wanted to say? Hope? Well, yeah, hope but Hope rising from the past into the future. There you go. There you go. Life's crazy. So I get to go play music tonight, so I'm, I'm very hopeful about that. i got to change my strings and stuff like that. It's going to be fun. going to get to go, up to go up to Snoqualmie and play at the Black Dog Arts Cafe up there, a place I really dearly love and appreciate. They do great work. Going to be playing with my buddy Rob Neisler up there tonight. I think we'll be, I don't know, trading short sets. I don't know how exactly how we're going to format it, but it should be a lot of fun. And I haven't been able to play my songs in front of people in too darn long. Well, because of all sorts of well, weird little incidences. Yeah, well. Weather being... Weather being one, sickness one. being another, and, you know. So I'm pumped. And if it snows, it'll start snowing, you know, after the show starts. So there you go. And our music today is was uh, somewhat prompted by my work on the publication because yeah. Reggie Garrett is uh, this quarter's cover feature. And man, what an interesting story he has. Oh, I really enjoyed his his article. Good. Um, he's a great he's guy. I've known Reggie quite... for 30 years or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. He mentioned you in his article, too. He did. Did you say something nice? Or yeah. Was it wasn't derogatory? No, he was talking about various performers that he remembered and really enjoyed from the open mics in the past, and uh, you were one of them. Well, there you go. 
CAD and Jim and, you know. Excellent. Illustrious company. Yeah. So we thought we would uh, finish up today with uh, one of Reggie's songs uh, from an album he did, uh, Reggie Garrett and the Snake Oil Peddlers. The album is called uh, Something New, I believe. And uh, the song is called Through and Through. When she gets a taste for me, she waits for me, relates to me every little thing that she feels to be just ought to be. The words float round my heart like a symphony. And I'm so high I could fly And every time she sees me, she teases me, pleases me Knows all the things that appeal to me Reveal to me all the soft hues of the love that she feels And I'm so high I could fly Well, I've got no need for four-leaf clovers Or tip sheets for lovers and fools Oh 